just before I left, Brother Mark said, God has this message, or God will take care of this message. And, and that's something as, as, I don't know if every other speaker deals with that, but that's part of my trouble, is getting myself out of the way to let the Spirit work. I feel like, obviously, the Spirit's been working this morning. The, the message, if we were to title it this morning, would be Unshakable Hope. And as we look at times changing around us, as we look at seems like darkness is creeping in. How do we as Christians, how do we live in unshakable hope? How do we believe in unshakable hope? And how do we convey unshakable hope to the world around us? If you're planning a visit to go to New York City, there are several things that you could look at to go see. You could go look at the Brooklyn Bridge. You could go tour the, the Statue of Liberty. You could possibly go to Yankee Stadium. You could um, go to the New York Zoo. If you wanted to spend lots of money, you could take a trip down Fifth Avenue where there's lots of stores to be, that would be happy to take your money. But as you're trip, planning this trip, there might be one place that you would choose not to go. It's very depressing. It's utterly overwhelming, and it's absolutely distraughting. As you take a cab to the avenues of the Americas, the corner of the avenues of America, and 44th Street, there is a sign there that is about 25 feet wide, weighs about 1,500 pounds, and uses 306 light bulbs to declare the U.S. national debt. And not only the U.S. national debt, it, it declares what each family owes. And the original sign was not made to go backwards obviously, so it's continued to go forward. And as I was thinking about that last night, I just Googled the U.S. national debt, and there it's, it's interesting. There's an online source that has a, a broken down thing, and it's very depressing. I didn't stay there very long because I wanted to be encouraging and not discouraging, but it breaks it down to each person, each citizen, and the expenditures are increasing faster than the income. So I'm no economics, but that spells trouble to me. I find it interesting as Mark talked on uh, the finances and uh, money, if you will. What if we, um, or what if heaven had a debt clock, say like the national debt clock in New York City? Not for fiscal debt, for our, our spiritual debt. Scripture often reflects sin in a financial terminology like Mark has so eloquently uh, told us about. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What if, what if this clock was real and each time we do an infraction, if we, each time that we sin, it would click? So say I lie, click. Say I gossip, click. Say if I demand my own way, click. Say, if I sleep in church, click. The debt of sin has serious consequences. I'm not trying to take away from that. It separates us from God. Turn with me to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, 
I think as we look at unshakable hope, we have to look at what we are, what we are without Christ Jesus. We've been talking about that in in our Sunday school as the law versus um, love, if if you will. Um, And we want to look here, back here in Isaiah chapter 59 to look at what sin not only does to us, but what it does with our relationship with God. We'll read the first 15 verses. Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sin has hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perverseness. None called for justice nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity, they speak lies, they conceive mischief, and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs, and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their web shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the acts of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. There is a judgment far from us, neither dust judgment overtake us we wait for light but behold obscurity for brightness but we walk in darkness we grope for a wall like the blind and we grope as if we had no eyes we stumble at noonday as in the night we are in desolate places as dead men we roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves we look for judgment but there is none for salvation but it is far off from us For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sin testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and utterly uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backwards, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and he equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey, and the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. That's depressing. Verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. If we would take an evaluation equation of heaven, it says... Heaven is a perfect place for perfect people, and that leaves us in a perfect mess because we cannot obtain heaven on our own works or on our own ways. According to our heaven's debt debt clock, uh, one more day equals more debt, one more day equals more sin, and click, 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 click as it goes. I want to look now as... Um, and positive, that kind of gives us a, a negative realm of, of what we would be like without the save, salvation of Jesus Christ in our life. 
deaths would just continue to pile up as they did in the Old Testament. They'd just be rolled back one more year. Romans chapter 7. I guess I'll just go ahead and read um, Romans 7, 7 through 25. Again, talking about sin and our struggle within. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Romans 7, 7. God forbid, nay, I have not known sin, but the law. And I had not known lust, except the law has said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin might, that sin by the commandment might be made exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to into the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good... For the good I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. But now if I do that which, now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh of the law of sin. The verse that I'd like to break out there, it's, it's, a, it's a long, it's kind of hard to read, obviously. It's a long description of Paul finding himself in. And verse 24, it says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? The law makes sin known in our lives, as it said, and is used by sin to produce death. Nevertheless, it is holy and just and good, as it said, um, reflecting God's perfect holiness. It was to show us the way to Christ. It would show us the bad things in our life that we were not to do. The Old Testament believer finds delight in God's law, but finds himself waging a war with the law of God and with the law of sin. 
So I feel like this realization of our moral debt can cause two different things. It can cause, one, it can cause us to look at good works. It can We can try to take care of all the things that are happening in our life, the, the struggles that we deal with, and trying to take care of them on our own. Um, life can become an un, unending quest to do enough. Do you ever barter with God? God, if you take this away, I'll do this. It's living in the flesh. It's not an act of love. I think somebody mentioned already this morning, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We do that because we love Jesus. We want to do, we want to obey him because we love him. So deep within these type of people that look at this this way, there's a gnawing fear. What if, after done all these things, have I done enough? Or do I need to do more? The other side of it is people saying, well, if God expects all these things, why even try? I'm never going to obtain the perfection that he asked me to do. I'm going to continue to fail. And in their unbelief, they throw up their hands and say, I give up and walk away aspirated. Can we relate to either one? Can we experience either one? And, and then what shall we do with that? Well, let's continue on and let Apostle Paul answer that for us. See, before his conversion, Paul was a zealous man. He did the law to the fullest, I believe. He was, he was there holding the coats of the people that were stoning Stephen as Stephen prayed to God and experienced all those things, but yet he was unconverted at that time. He was trying to serve God the best of his ability, the best that he knew how, living by the law, and that failed him. Keeping the law hadn't made him a better person. But that all changed on the road to Damascus. He was blinded so he could look inward and not outward. He could look within his heart. And that's where God wants each of us today is to look inward into our hearts. Romans 8, as we look at what, continuing on what Apostle Paul has to say. Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is no... There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead also shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. In a nutshell, I want to. I've shared this story before, but there, 
there's a famous painter that went back into his hometown and he went back in disguise and just walked around just looking about and in one of the shops he saw one of his prized paintings in the window and as he gazed upon that in the, the painting it was torn it was battered the uh, corners were ripped a little the frame was 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 damaged and there was dirt all over the painting and as the person that created that painting, he could go into that store and just demand, hey, that is my painting, I want it back, but that's not how it works. He would have to go in to the store owner and purchase the painting back so he could clean it up, so he could repair the damaged frame, so he could restore the painting back to the original form. And that's basically, in a nutshell, what Christ has done for us, through, uh, God has done for us through Christ Jesus. He created us, but because of sin, it stains our life, it wrecks us, God has to buy us back. He has to purchase us through Jesus' blood. As Christians, I know that I probably struggle with self-reliance, and I want to I share a story with you. Some of you know the story, and you can, hopefully you can laugh and learn at my expense, but um, <laughs> two of them are already laughing. They already know the story. So over Christmas break, uh, Trey and Carter and I went duck hunting, and through that ordeal, we, we started out, we was having a really good hunt. We had ducks on the water, and, and so many that we quit sending the dogs after, and we were shooting so many. But during the lull, uh, we went out and started getting the ducks, and all of a sudden, as we was out there, some more started flying over. So those of you that are over 30 will be able to relate to this. Those of you under 30 may not. But as, as I knelt down like this with my waders, I was kneeling in about that much water and about that much of sediments in the bottom of a pond of ooey, gooey, sticky mud. And I don't know how long it was, but um, after a while, if the ducks quit flying over, decided to stand up. Well, I stood up, but I went to take a step, and unbeknownst to me, my boots had wiggled down into the mud enough that I fell flat on my face. Not on my face, but on my side. And here I was, wallowing around in this ooey-gooey, sticky mud, trying to get up. Well, I did get up, but so many of us men, we think, well, I can, I can do that. I've, I've got it figured out. I'll just pull my boot out and, and try to get out again. Well, I fell down again. As I'm sitting down there, embarrassed and humiliated, I call out, help! <laughs> and my son has to come over and, and pull me up. And I, I want to stop and, and, and break off and, and take a few moments to look at some of the spiritual applications in this. You know, so many times we find ourselves failing and, and wallowing around in, in life's miry clay and, and sin and and we need help up. We need help up. And that's through Jesus Christ. That's through God helping us up that we can't do ourselves. Back to the story. I don't know if they laughed about it then, but my son was more mature than I might have been at that time. He did not grin. He just helped me up. And maybe they kind of laughed about it out, out of earshot, which is probably probably good for him because I might have threw a decoy at him. But... <laughs> So in all that, walking back, I looked at myself, disgusted. I had mud inside my coat, up my waders, 
on both sides. And so I kneel down in the water trying to wash that ooey-gooey sticky mud off. But it would not wash off. It was so sticky and slimy that I could smear it up a little bit, even with water, but it wouldn't come off. And it made me think again is how many times do I try to take care of myself in life, situations that come my way, that I think I'm man enough, I'm good enough, I can take care of that situation. But we need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I go back to where I was sitting and after trying to clean myself off, and I sit there, and I start thinking. I mean, we're having a good duck hunt. I, there's plenty of things that I could be happy about and enjoy, but I started thinking about all the negative things. Why? Why did I have to be so stupid to allow this to happen to me? And as I looked, I would look down, and mud is getting up on my gun because every time I move, the mud keeps creeping higher and higher, and... and I say this with, with embarrassment, but I was starting to get mad. I was getting mad. I was getting angry. And you know what the Bible says about anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither, neither give place to the devil. And I think that second part is so important because when we sin... We're giving place to the devil. Now, getting mad at that point, I don't believe I'd sinned. But what I did after that was a sin. And I'll explain. So I was sitting there seething, getting more mad and more mad. My dog was not obeying very good that day. So I turn around, and my anger had clouded my judgment, had clouded my feeling for this animal that God had blessed me with. And I grabbed the dog and go to yank it, and something popped in my shoulder. And <laughs> I could no longer raise my arm above there without pain shooting through my shoulder. And it took me just for a little bit, and I was like, okay, Lord, you got my attention now. And so I repented of my anger, and I asked God to help my dog understand that I wasn't mad at her. But you see, a long story short, I used to deal with anger. I used to deal with getting mad frequently but God helped me deal with that and I'm going to share with you this morning of some things actually I want to back up a little bit I forgot a forgot an area that I was going to tell you about so during the point before I sinned with my dog there's things kept going through my head uh, and whether it's Satan whispering or just my self-reliance, thinking I could take care of things. But when we start looking at negativity, when we start looking at where we're at, our position, it changes our thought process. So as we look at what we might say, Satan whispering in our ear, um, will it glorify God or will it glorify myself? As we look at... Uh, other things, will it lead me to heaven or will it lead me to hell? So those those thoughts, I mean, we have to analyze, is it God whispering in a still small voice or is it an oppression of a spirit and anger, in other words, um, talking to me well as well? Another thing, will it satisfy my flesh 
or will it satisfy this, the Holy Spirit? And also, Satan continues to whisper accusations. The Holy Spirit will direct us into conviction. He will convict us of our sin. So as we're thinking about those things, what are we feeding ourselves? And my point is, is I used to pray these scriptures, and I'm going to share them with you. And I feel like because I had gotten relaxed on praying these scriptures and making them a daily prayer habit, I become self-reliant on myself taking care of my anger. So Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. That's a change, or that's living in obedience, allowing God to work within my heart and life every day. Um, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way within me, and lead me in the paths of everlasting. Allowing so many times me in my human form, I can't see what's in my heart. If, if I want to honestly look at myself, I have to look at myself through God's eyes, allow him to look in my heart and to search me and to try me and to know my thoughts. So I want to use that story as encouragement. You know, I could have took that and allowed Satan to say, well, there you go again, you failed. You know, you got angry, you tried, you know, you did all these things so long and then, and then you just failed. Well, that's, again, that's Satan the accuser. Um, you can take him back to the spot where that was washed under the blood of the lamb and say, you have no authority here because that was covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to use that. We have to use God's word. I think of a soldier, you know, young men going into battle. Why would they leave the most powerful weapon that they have behind and us as well. We need to think about that. The Spirit of God, His Word is is a, such an important weapon in our lives as we battle against Satan and even our daily walk. So we aren't told when God, or when Paul realized the meaning of grace, but we understand that he got it after that. You know, soon after that, I think it was Ananias, Ananias, yeah, was told to go to Paul and to um, help him receive his sight back. And then we, we know the transition that started within Paul and his heart and his life and how he started preaching the gospel and totally changed his, his way of life and living for the Lord. So as we look at unshakable hope this morning, how can we understand that how can we believe that this morning when things happen in our lives that shake us to our core when we experience things that just really try our faith turn with me to psalm 1830 psalm 1830 as for God, his way is perfect. The word, is, the word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. God is perfect. Have you ever just stopped and think, his way's perfect, his doing's perfect, his mercy is perfect, his grace is perfect, his truth is perfect. 
His chastisement is perfect. The way of salvation is perfect. His love is perfect. And I still have a tinge in my arm, but that serves as a reminder of the sin that I did and how God reminded me of that. And I think as we look at those things that we happen in our life and understand that God is perfect, those things are reminders because I'm a forgetful person. I, I need to be reminded, and God is perfect and reminded me my sin and how I need to take care of it. far as God taking care of us, um, there's a story about a bummer lamb. And I don't know, maybe some of you know know this story, but a bummer lamb is a lamb that has been rejected by its mother um, after birth. And many times, it doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while, this, this, this mother will give birth and it rejects the lamb. And a lot, a lot of times it'll kick it to even get it away. So this little baby lamb here is now feeling rejected and all alone, and its head is hanging down, and its spirit is actually broken. But what the shepherd will do, the shepherd will gather that lamb up in his arms and take it back home, and he'll feed it and nurture it and love it in a perfect way. And when the lamb is now old enough to go out back out in the, uh, the flock, it knows its master's voice because it spent so much time near to the master. So when the shepherd now goes out and calls for the, the sheep, it's probably one of the first ones that will come running up to see the master. <clears throat> and that's just a good illustration. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> it's just a good illustration of what God through Christ Jesus does in our life. Jesus is a perfect shepherd for us. God doesn't stand on a mountain and expect us to come to him. He comes down into our deepest valleys and carries us, helps us, gives us strength to carry on. As we look at our spiritual debt, he doesn't pay our debt minus one dollar and expect us to pay the other dollar. He pays every penny of it. He doesn't bargain with us, telling us to clean up our lives so he can help. He washes our sin away without our help. There's nothing we can do. I can stand out there trying to wash my waders, but I had to have help. An elderly woman was once asked about the security of her salvation. Though she had dedicated her life to the Lord, a cynic asked, how can you be sure, how can you know that after all these years, God won't let you sink into hell? She answered, he would lose more than I would. All I would lose would be my soul. He would lose his good name. I want you to think about that a little bit. What's that mean? So as we look at how to have unshakable hope this morning, no matter what comes our way, I think we've got to concentrate on the perfectness of God, the perfectness of his, of his doings, of his mercy, of his grace, of his truth, and his way of salvation through Jesus Christ. Like that experience that I did, they're sitting there looking at my situation, 
we have to do we have to daily make a choice in our life. What are we going to concentrate on? I I've about done away with social media just because there's nothing but negativity there. There's nothing positive and encouraging for me to look at. And it gets me down if I if I spend time looking at all the troubles and to, uh turmoil that's going on around our country and other countries as well. I think we've got to start with God and we've got to end with God every day. Something that we all should strive to do. As we read Romans 8, it says, there, there, is, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What does condemnation, no condemnation mean? Um, it means that we have been found innocent of any accusation and there's not a guilty verdict if the blood has been applied. God is satisfied. I owe a debt I cannot pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. And I think we need to stand on that today. We've got to understand where we are without Christ Jesus. And that's got to play a huge impact in our life. Of what state we are without the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to us each and every day. And we have to live that. Not only here, but we have to understand it here in our heart. So as we try to be finish off being encouraging, we stand upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, all the ground is sinking sand. And as those that are in Christ Jesus, we know the end. We, even though we're experiencing battles here in life, we know who wins victorious, and that's Jesus Christ. We know who loses, and that's Satan. And that's why we can say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What shall we sing?